0: morning bring greetings from uh, two blocks away so glad to be doing uh, ministry with you in downtown jackson and glad to be partners with you in that for those of you that come and serve on an ongoing basis we appreciate you and appreciate the opportunity that we have to help people make comebacks every morning at nine i lead prayer time for everybody in the shelter that wants to come sometimes that's one sometimes that's eight uh but uh celebrate those comebacks every time. Sylvia last week came in and said, it's been 31 days. I said, 31 days for what this week, Sylvia? 31 days since I've had a drink. And I said, way to go, girl. That's what this is about. One day at a time, we're going to do this together. She's been there about 60 days and relapsed several times. Up to that time, she started again. This time, she says she's going to do it. Um, 80% of the people that come to the shelter are disadvantaged in in that they are developmentally disadvantaged in some way 80% come in with that kind of stuff almost all of them addicted to something and we have 74 beds we're feeding meals to 75 right now during covid probably get back up to around 150 once everything starts to open up but uh, your partnership is uh, is very integral in that and excited to be doing that with you and excited that you have Dallas here Hope you're as excited to have him as, as we are. He's already reached out to us about connecting. Happy birthday to him tomorrow. Make sure you remember that uh, for your church. Well, let me pray. I want to get us into the word. I'm excited about God's uh, word for us today. Jesus, I want the words of my mouth. I want the meditations of our hearts to be acceptable to you. You're our God. You're our strength. You're our redeemer. Amen. Amen. We're going to spend time in Acts chapter 3 and 4. If you want to open that up in front of you, you can. I'm going to paraphrase a bit for sake of time, but also for sake of the story. You can hold me accountable there. The word of God is living. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's where our life has to come from. In Acts chapter 3, it's one of my favorite stories, Peter and John, it says there to start off with are on their way to the temple, and it has a little important note there. It says, in the third hour of prayer, it's the third hour of prayer. I want you to hang that on a hook in your mind for a little bit later, uh, because I think it's an important thing. That means what? That there was a first and a second hour of prayer. This was the third hour of prayer, and it is in the third hour of prayer this time that God decides he wants to do something. I think it's interesting that God didn't choose to do it in the first or the second hour in that same day. That intrigues me. In the third hour of prayer, Peter and John come upon a man who has been born lame. <clears throat> He's been there 40 years, and he is dragged there every day by his friends, as you would guess for, from people that are begging. They go to the one spot that they think that they can get the most return on their investment. And they go to the church. We're supposed to be known for our compassion. And the people there probably knew this man well. Forty years, at least three services a day, uh, this man was sitting there trying to make his ends meet. In this particular instance, Peter and John look down at him and they say some of those famous words that you've heard before, silver and gold, have I none, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Now pause there for a second. Let's trade places with the homeless people. Let's trade places with people like that that are begging. You've seen them. There's some right downtown here at the post office right now. If you see them, you need to know that they've been reached out to at least 10 to 20 times to come and stay with us. (laughs) There's several people that are homeless. There's several people that want to stay in the circumstances that they are at. We can't do much about this. This guy has probably heard this phrase many times, I don't have any change today. And he's thinking to himself, oh, here it comes, I'm outside the temple, and these church people are going to come, and they're going to give me a track, in our language, and they're going to tell me about Jesus, and they're not going to just put a quarter in my cup. Just put a quarter in my cup. I can hear him saying it in his mind again, because he's been so many times, people have been telling him, and back then they believed that if you were lame, that that was God's curse on you. He did that to you and your family for all of the sins for all of these years. And so he'd probably heard many, many times, why are you such a sinner? You wouldn't be lame if you were such a sinner. He's heard it, and he hears it again, and here comes another two guys, and what do they say? Don't have any silver or gold, but I have something else. Okay, I'll listen to it again. I'm not going anywhere. Bonus material here, friends. How many times will we settle for so much less than what God has in store for us? He would have been happy with a quarter in his cup, but instead they say in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he says, what? But then he feels something going on in his legs, and he feels something going on in his ankles, it says, and they start to swell, and the muscles start to grow, and then he starts to wobble. It's like a newborn. I've got a new one-year-old grandbaby right now just starting to wobble, and it was the exact same thing. First time starting to walk, and he gets up, and he moves, and he starts to bend those knees for the first time. And of course, if that was you, and if that was me, we would be doing what he's doing. He's going, what in the world? And he starts hollering, and he starts rejoicing, and he starts jumping jumping up and down as much as he knows how to, and then starts running around, and it couldn't have happened to a better person because he's been there 40 years. Everyone in the temple coming there three times a day knew that this guy could not walk, and now he walks beside them. We always take that for granted, those of us that have been in the Word a long time. This was an amazing, and amazing, and amazing thing. Well, of course, Peter and John are going to take advantage of this. The guy's jumping up and drowned, and people come around. What happened? What happened? And they start to preach, and they tell everybody it's about Jesus, and we flip over to chapter 4 now, and we see that the result of that is it says 5,000 people came to know God that day. 5,000, it says men, so let's assume that there were some women and children there. Maybe 10,000 people came to know Christ in the single biggest day that we read about in Scripture of people coming to know God. And it's as a result of this guy becoming healed. Well, the church was excited too, weren't they? Nope. (laughs) The church should have been excited. You see it there in chapter 4. The power mongers, they're called the Sadducees, the Pharisees. They get a pretty bad name. They were really, really good people, but they just wanted everybody to know it. And they wanted to keep everybody in control under them. And they, of course, do what all of us would do in the church. They arrest them. It makes no sense. At the end of the day, it says they were tired, and the end of the day came, so they put them in prison overnight for healing somebody. You know the story. They get up the next day, and they come before them with what I consider one of the greatest dialogues in the Bible. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of these people call Peter and John up to him, and they say this one question. By what power or what name did you do what you just did? By what power or what name did you just do that? Now, of course, they heard them all day the day before, making this very, very clear so that 10,000 people came to know it. That's what they were really in trouble for. And Peter and John, I think, with a little smirk, come up to them and say, Are we being called to account today because of this man that was healed? (laughs) Really? Seriously? This is it. We're being called to account because a man was healed. And he was lame for 40 years, and you're upset about this because people are excited about the God that did that. Okay, we'll play along. I can hear them saying, then it's by the power of Jesus. And then they add this little dig, whom you just crucified. It's by the name of Jesus that this person was healed. Make no mistake, this was not us. It's by the power of Jesus whom you just crucified. They don't quite know what to do with that because they cannot deny what has just happened. That's always a great thing to have on your side, by the way, if you're arguing. If you cannot deny what has happened, they don't know what to do. And it says this amazing verse. You see it there. It says, when the Pharisees saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, underline it there in your Bible, they were astonished... But the period doesn't go there. It says, and they knew they were with Jesus. They were astonished and took note they'd been with Jesus. Friends, I think that's the key to all of the New Testament. I think it's the key to the church working here in Jackson, Michigan. Most of the world, and I'll start with myself, begins with the premise that I have to try to astonish people with the things that I can accumulate, say, and do. And so we try to accumulate more and score more baskets and make more goals and get bigger cars and get bigger houses, also that people will be astonished and put a period right there because they'll be astonished at what we did. When we in the church get into our brains that we can no longer astonish people. In fact, what Jesus says in in his word is that if we're still trying to please men, we are no longer servants of Christ. When we can astonish people, when people can be astonished at what they see us participating in and they take note that we've been with Jesus, then we've won. You see, people, the world is not interested in a religious version of themselves, We're not going to fill these pews by going out and being just like the people around us. No, we've got to participate with God in such a way that people are astonished and say, wait a minute, Rick, you couldn't have done that. (laughs) I don't want to do stuff you can do and just go to church and add church onto the end. People aren't just going to come to church because we ask them to come to church if they don't see anything different in us people are going to want to know the God that we know when they see us participating with God in ways that we can't do on our own and take note that we've been with him. And so simply I challenge you as I challenge myself, I want these words to haunt you. I want them to be in your brain every morning as you get into his word. When's the last time that you participated with God in such a way as someone had to say to you, by what power... Or what name did you do that you just did? Now, it's cool when it's really huge, like healing somebody. I'd love to see that. But it's probably in a much more subtle way. It's probably just in a kindness to a stranger. It's when the lady has a baby in her one hand. This was about a month ago. And a knife in her other hand that she stole from our kitchen and is running through our our shelter trying to protect her baby, she says. Well, I have some ways to respond to that. I have to respond in grace, and I have to talk her down, and I have to give her chances, and I have to help her understand that there's more to life, and that this isn't the way to handle it, and that's what goes on on a daily basis. People have to see Jesus in us. Well, I wanted to put this to a test. And so I I was speaking uh, several years ago at a a large youth conference. It was out in Colorado. Uh, Let's use round numbers. Let's say there was about 1,000 kids at this thing. And you may be familiar with these type of conferences. Denominations of all kinds have them, and they'll send all of their kids out, and they'll congregate for about a week and have services morning and afternoon. It's a great, great time, great worship. Kids come out really excited for Jesus and uh, just phenomenal opportunities. They had several morning speakers, uh, of which I was one, and then they had a main speaker who was the evening person throughout all of this thing, and they had a little brochure with our pictures in it and all that. I took my family out, and we uh, were taking advantage of being in Colorado for this conference. I had prepared a message, I don't even remember what it was on, Um, but this little passage in Acts chapter 3 and 4, for some reason, the Lord I know now put this into my brain, and I got to thinking, I wonder if that would actually happen now. I wonder what would happen if we set that up, and so I went down to the local Goodwill store, bought a pair of pants and a shirt that was really old, rubbed it in the dirt of my parking lot, put it on, put a hat on, put a scarf on, because I didn't want people to recognize me as one of the speakers in the brochure, and I dragged dressed up like a homeless guy. I'm not a drinker. Uh, uh, I bought the first beer I ever had, and I poured that beer on myself a little bit, poured the beer out, had an empty can beside me. I wanted this to be good. So I looked like a homeless guy, and I smelled like a homeless guy, and I found out that I was pretty good at acting like a homeless guy. I I can actually act drunk, I guess. I don't even know what that is, but I I did pretty well, apparently. And I stationed myself outside the temple, called beautiful. That's what Peter and John were, so follow along with the story here of Acts chapter 3. Because I knew at this particular venue that we were at, um, they were having to walk from their dorms about one mile to get to this temple that we will call it. It was an auditorium, very plush auditorium that was really, really neat. But they had one path that they had to follow the whole way. So I got outside the temple Two nights before I was supposed to speak, and I stationed myself right outside the front door where they, every all thousand of these kids and their youth pastors would have to walk by. And I stationed myself down there. Got a blanket, had some cans, did the whole thing. Had my cardboard sign, and you know what I put on my cardboard sign because every cardboard sign says very something very similar, and it has God in it. God bless you. I just said on mine, God bless you, please help. Why do they put God on there? Because they know we Christian people want God somewhere in there and they they think we're going to get more. So I had my empty cup, I had my God bless you sign, and I just stationed myself outside of the temple and I went at about six o'clock for the seven o'clock evening session. Got there before Ann and I had my daughters. I have three daughters. That traveled with me and they were they had a lot of fun with this but they were incognito with a video camera right across the street and they videotaped the next hour of what happened I'm at the second hour of prayer outside the temple called beautiful and I am stationed as a homeless person right outside the temple the first group comes by they're coming to buy it about 610 for a seven o'clock service why are they doing that You know why, because they're excited. They want the front seats. They want to get the best seats. They're excited for what's going on. And they come up to a stoplight. There was a stoplight here. There was a major intersection. They had to stand there for literally 30 seconds. It was a long one. And I was stationed right across the street right before they went into the building. So they had to stand there and look at me and decide that entire time, what are we going to do? First group comes by, they sort of did, and it's a group of teenagers, so teenagers all do the same thing. They sort of look at each other, they huddle together, they look over, they look back and forth. What are we doing? And they walked on by. They ran in, they ran into the, to the temple because they wanted to get to church. And they were really excited about God. You, you do see the irony there, right? Do I have to point that out? You do see the irony there. They're so excited about God, they gotta get to the temple, they gotta see what's going on here. And so they look at each other, they go on by. And the second group comes up. They see me 30 seconds across the street. They who, what should we do? Should we go over there? I don't know. And they walk on by. And they walk into the temple. Why? Because in the temple, that's where God's at. That's where we're so excited to say, We've got to go get God. We've got to get to the front seats. The worship's going to be awesome. We're going to lift our hands. We're going to run to the front. This is going to be amazing. I'm getting a little discouraged as people just walk by. I thought with my little cup, uh, this might be a banner night. I got a 1,000 kids. What if those 1,000 kids just gave $1 each? Could have been a $1,000 night for this homeless guy. Now, I know some of your minds are starting to say, wait a minute, we're not supposed to give homeless people money and cash because they're going to go. Could you just separate that for a little bit? Just play along with me. We're going to get there. About the third group that comes, and there were just big packs of kids that started to go. About the third group that comes, they stop. And there's seven of them, and they're young, they're 8th, ninth, and 10th graders, let's say. So they're not the most mature group that is in this. But this group stops, and they walk over to me, and I'm, again, I put a, it's, it's middle of summer, but I have a scarf over my face because I'm really afraid that they're going to recognize my face. So I have a scarf on, I have a hat on, and I am not inviting. I am the least of these, on purpose. And they came up to me, and they go, hey, What's your name? Oh, dang, I, I hadn't thought of that. I, I can't tell them my name. Yeah, I'm the uh, pastor that's going to speak. Now. So I said, uh, George. They said, hi, George, how are you? And I said, I guess pretty good for a homeless guy. And they said, George, what do you need? And I might, ask, I might just add on to this, that's a fabulous question that rarely gets asked. To the people in our situation. Most people assume what people without need, and they provide what they assume. It was a fabulous question. And so I said, and again, I was caught off guard. I hadn't really thought through that if there were actual conversations that are going to happen, what am I going to say to this? So I said, well, I guess I need food. And they said this. They said, silver and gold have I none. They didn't use those words, but follow along with the story. They said, George, We don't have any food, but what we do have is this service that we're going to, and we would love for you to come in and go to it with us. Can I tell you, friends, that's the most phenomenal answer in the history of the world. They wanted me to come with them. They were going to stop what they were doing and invest in George, who they did not know. That's what my pattern is when I'm in Chicago or someplace or even here. If somebody asks me for something, if I hear the Lord saying, let's do something in this hour of prayer with them, I usually say, well, I'll take you out for dinner. Let's go in and I'll buy you a dinner. I want to give myself to them. I don't want to just throw something at the problem to make myself feel better, although there is a time even to do that. Now, this was like the third group, so I had a whole lot of kids that I wanted to have this experience. It would have been phenomenal if it would have been the last group, and I could have said yes and gone and had that. I'd have had a whole other story of what took place with the stinky alcoholic inside of this place. But I said, no, I don't want to do that. I thought that would be the normal response. And they said, okay, George, well, here's a ticket, and if you want to come in, you can come with us. I said, thank you. That's really awesome. And so I continued to act that. They walked away, and I thought, man, that's, that's awesome. This, there's some teens that are getting this. That, they get this. And, and then this goes on for another half an hour. Out of those 1,000 kids, how much would you guess ended up in my little cup? $7 and change. Now, I make no judgments in that. There are some really good reasons not to give cash, okay. And some of you are already thinking, wait a minute, what did you do with that money? Did you take that money, Rick? No, I didn't. I had that all planned out too, but I know your head went there. I gave the money back, I actually gave it to some homeless people, or as you'll find out later, I actually gave it back to the people that gave it to me if they wanted it. I gave $7 and change and a couple of Gatorades from different people. And then, about 15 minutes before the thing started, that group that I just told you about emerged from the temple. And they were coming back to me. And I looked at that, I looked up, and I said, These were the same kids that were just here before. And I looked up, and they said, George, we found food. You said you needed food and so they'd gone into this place and they had somehow raided something probably stole something they shouldn't have which I don't recommend if you're going to do this but the heart is right they they some because this was just a this was just a place you know this wasn't a it wasn't a restaurant there wasn't anything to buy they went in and found bags of chips and cookies Now, again, if you're going to help homeless people, don't give them bags of chips and cookies, but stick with the story here. It's just amazing what they're doing. So they drop all of these bags of cookies with me and chips and everything that they could find, and they were just pleased as punch. And I was starting to weep. I'm starting to tear up a little bit because these guys had been thinking about George inside for a half an hour. They they kept thinking about George. They didn't just come and pat me on the head. And say a prayer for me and say, hey, here's a quarter, that, all of which is appropriate at different times. They came out and they, it's that, the stuff, and I just said, thank you. And then they said, George, could we pray for you? I said, well, yeah. And then they said, well, what should we pray for you for, George? And another question I wasn't ready for, and I said, just pray for my family. Okay. And then they did this amazing, amazing thing. They touched me. They gathered around me, and they laid their hands on me. It's been 10 years, and I cry every time I tell this story. And and they touched me, and immediately my mind went back, maybe to the story that you're thinking of now, of that woman that needed touched, and Jesus reached out the leper that needs healing, and he didn't just say, you're healed. What's he do? He touches her, this impure, unclean woman. And that was me, man. I was... I was stinky, I was smelly, I was dirty, I was nothing. And i got to tell you that while I'm sitting there for an hour, I start to feel like it. I start to take it on because so many people, so many people just ignored me. And I've done that, so I'm not pointing any fingers. So they pray for me, and then this little girl, her name I think was Mallory. I think she was maybe a freshman in high school. She comes, and everybody gets up, and they're about to go back in. And then she kneels down beside me, and she grabs my hand, and she says, George, Jesus loves you, and so do I. That little girl was the only girl that looked me in the eye. That little girl was the only girl that got on my level and grabbed my hand and told me the one truth in the world that really mattered. And I just started to weep, and she started to weep, and I just said, thank you, thank you. That's so nice, thank you. Well, she goes in. I'm a wreck. The, start, the service starts that night. I pick up my stuff. Fortunately, my girls have been videotaping this whole thing across the way. And I go back now, and of course, I can't preach this message that I had four weeks ago that didn't have anything to do with anything, so I spend the next day coming up with this whole new thing. Let's fast forward now two days. It's my turn to preach in the morning. I'm, I'm the morning speaker. It starts about 9 o'clock-ish. Uh, My pattern typically when I get to speak at these events and places that I get to go is I like to walk through the seats ahead of time. And I lay my hand on every seat. And I ask an angel to come and sit there with those people and do his work. But to do so, of course, I have to go in early. So I show up about 7.30 or 8 just hoping to get into this place. This wasn't a church. It was an auditorium. And somehow, one of the workers came in at just the right time, and I snuck in right behind him, went into the auditorium. And it's this huge, you know, it's a thousand, seat auditorium, and it's plush and beautiful. And it's dark, so I just silently start to go through, and I'm walking through each, and I'm just laying my hands. Whoa, there's step there. Laying my hands on every chair, asking the Lord to do this. And as I'm doing that, the janitor or the caretaker of this place sees me and he comes into the auditorium and he goes, "What are you doing?" And he gets really mad at me. And I said, "Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I'm just the speaker this morning. I'm I'm just praying. That's really all I'm doing. I'm not going to mess anything up. I'm not going to steal anything. I'm literally just praying through every chair in this place." "You're not allowed to do that." And he goes off on me. Now, I um, uh, I'm a sinner, and so I had thoughts going in my mind of how I should respond to this guy and how I might wanted to respond to this guy. Um, fortunately, in this case—and it's not always been the case—in this case, I responded with grace, and I just said, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you know I've upset. am not meant to upset you. Is it okay if I just really quietly continue?" And, oh, whatever, whatever. You do what you have to do, and he and he storms off. Now. You may have, I'm sure those of you who are followers of Christ have experienced this. I, I have experienced it several times in my life when I was about to preach or about to do something, something really hard happens. I think that's on purpose because our enemy isn't happy about what's going on. And I, I get that simultaneous thing where I'm saying, oh, 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 I know, this really stinks. But I also know God might want to do something really big here. So the service starts, the band comes out, the kids flood to the front, they're singing, they're worshiping, they're worshiping, they're singing. And by the way, when I say that, I mean it. They're very authentic. It, this was a great thing. It wasn't, a, it wasn't fake in any capacity. They're really excited about God. My turn to speak, and I come out, and uh, I have some of my clothes on that I wore that night. And I have all of the chips and the cookies with me that that group had gotten, and I had my cup and my sign, and I had a table stationed up there just like this, and I come up and I just lay all that stuff and put, the, put my cup up and my little sign out there, and I know in my brain that 98% of the people are going, why does this guy bring in snack food out on the, on, on, you know, in front of us all? And there are, there are 2% that are going, what the? <laughs> that looks awful familiar, and come to think of it, He looks sort of familiar, too. And so I start to go through Acts chapter 3 like I did with you even today, and I said, hey, do you think that this could happen now? Is this just a story that was supposed to happen way back when that we're inspired by, or do you think that this could actually happen now? And I said, it sort of did. And I said, any of you remember a homeless guy that was stationed out front? He said, that was me. Now, you think it was quiet before then, it got quieter than you can imagine, and this deathly science over this thousand people, the kids that were on their phones actually even looked up. It's completely quiet, and you know what's going through their brain. Wait a minute, wait a minute, I think I did see him, and yep, just walked right by him. So I start to explain what had gone on, and I thank the people that had given me some stuff. I told the people that I had some money here, and if you've given me money, I'm not keeping your money. There you go. I satisfied all of you, you people that were worried about that $7 and change. And I called, and then I said, but there was this one group that was amazing, and I'd like to call them up. And I called this little group of seven or eight kids up. I said, you know who you are. You guys come up. You guys gave me this food. They start to come up, and the crowd starts to cheer. And I said, stop it. I said, stop stop cheering. I said, what, we are not robbing these people of their blessing. They did not do this for the applause of men. They didn't even know this was going to happen. We're not robbing of that. If they're seeking applause of men, they can't be servants of Christ. We're not robbing them. So they stop and I, and I call them up and I said, you guys prayed for me. You touched me. Way to go. You laid hands on me. Way to go. And then I said, Marley, would you mind coming up here? And she's the shyest little girl, of course. She didn't do this for any accolades. And I said, Marley, would you reenact with me what you did? And I kneel down, and she kneels down, and she grabs my hand. I said, what would you say, Marley? And she says, Jesus loves you, and I do too. And of course, I am weeping my head off, and she's weeping, and now the entire audience is weeping, and I just got up and said, now listen, I could really manipulate you right now, and we could have a real emotional time up here at the front where you would all say, I'm really sorry, and I'm going to give the rest of my life to serving the homeless. That's not what this is about. I said, because there was a first hour prayer, and there was a second hour prayer where God didn't do what he wanted to do. So this is not a guilt trip to you, and I say, was saying to them that every time you see a homeless person, you've got to stop and see if they, and try to heal them. I said, what you do have to do is ask if this is the hour that God wants to do something using you in a way that you can't do on your own. And if the answer is yes, then however you respond becomes amazing. Amazing. And people take note that you've been with Jesus. And sometimes that's giving somebody a dollar, even though you think, man, they're probably going to go waste that on alcohol. My position on that is that's God's problem. If God told me to serve somebody that's a little less fortunate and what I have in my pocket is a dollar, then I can give it to them and feel really good about that, even if they go drink it away. Because their response isn't my problem, that's God's problem. And sometime he might say, Rick, have this guy take him out for dinner. And sometime he might say, Rick, invite this guy into your car. And sometime he might say, this guy needs a house, Rick. Can can you take him home with you? Now, it's not every time. So nobody should feel guilty because there's a first and a second hour that Peter and John for 40 years did not heal this guy. We're off the hook. We're not having to say every time we do, I got to do it, I got to do it, I'm feeling guilty. Guilt's the worst motivation in the history of the world. My take is that guilt is from Satan, but conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Guilt's from a bad place trying to make me feel bad if I don't do something. No, 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 no. Conviction's from a good place that says, if you participate with me, watch what God will do. If you participate with me, people are going to come up to you and they're going to want to know by what power. Or what name did you do what you just did? So we have an altar call, and some people come up, and they pray, and people move forward, and I'm just rejoicing. I'm thanking the Lord for what has gone on. He's really used his time. Thank you, Jesus. And then I go backstage. Things have died down. I've prayed with a few people, yada, yada. And who do you suppose is waiting for me backstage? You're ahead of me, aren't you? The janitor. The guy that had hollered at me beforehand, (laughs) I'll never forget the interaction. He's walking like this, he's sort of wringing his hands because of course he feels a little stupid, right? He's hollered his head off at me. He's going like this and he says, hey, speaker. And by the way, I know I've done well if they say, hey, speaker, because I don't care if they remember my name. He says, hey, speaker. looks down a little bit and he goes, that's pretty good. (laughs) <laughs> and you know how much crow he had to, to, to eat to, to say just that sentence, and I, and, I, and I just thought to myself, oh, thank the Lord for one time in my life I actually answered graciously to this guy because I would have ruined an opportunity. And, and, and then he goes, hey, speaker, and, you know, and I just said, oh, thanks, that's really kind of you. Thanks for saying that, you didn't need to say that. And he goes, hey, speaker, he says, I feel like George all the time. And I go, ah, oh, there it is. We all identify with the wrong character in the story. We all want to be the savior. We all want to be the person who's doing the right thing. But most of the time, we're just George. And we have this little sign. And each one of you, you know it. You know what you would write on your sign. I feel horrible about myself. I, I, I. And then you would fill in your blank. And if you were really honest, we won't ever hold up our signs, but all of us got our sign. And I got to pray with the janitor that day. And 5,000 people came to know God as a result of what happened. See how it works? See, what this little janitor guy was really saying, what was he saying? He was coming up to me and he was going, hey, speaker, by what power... Or what name did you just treat me like you did? Because everybody just overlooks me. Everybody, you know, I keep this place clean. I keep it looking good. Nobody cares. I even hollered at you. But you spoke to me with kindness. that That's not you, is it? <laughs> no. Nope. It's by the name of Jesus. It's by the power of Jesus that I can do that. Because in my carnality, man, I can mess it up a lot and I continue to. And when that happens, people are astonished. And what? And they take notes you've been with Jesus. Then they want it. You see, it wasn't the four spiritual laws. It wasn't a track. It wasn't that I'd invited him to church. It wasn't that I had that. All I had done was astonish him because I treated him with kindness. And that's what I want you to hear, friends. That's what we need your help with two blocks down the way. But it's not just there. I want to get in your brain like I tried to get in those kids' brain that what happens on the way to church is probably a lot more important than what happens when you get there. And if we get so focused on feeding ourselves and growing and getting deeper, all of which is important to do, I'm a pastor at heart, I want that stuff to happen, that we get our eyes off of what the message is about, then we miss it. When's the last time? And more importantly, when will be the next time that you will ask the question, Jesus, do you want to do something here? That's what we're responsible to do, just to ask the question. Not just to walk by, not not just to not pay attention, because there's going to be times when Jesus is going to say, like the first and the second hour, it's not this time, that's okay. But we're responsible to ask. And it's going to be with who you eat lunch with today. That's the point. It doesn't have to be homeless people. This isn't about homeless. This is about people that need Jesus like you and me. And how will your responses be to them in that day? Thanks for listening Well, let me pray with us. Jesus, this is your stuff. Again, bring the conviction of your spirit to our hearts where we need that. Take us to a place where people see the Jesus in us and want the God that we see and that we know. We love you today. Amen.